ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Welcome to ID the Future. I'm your host, Andrew McDermott. Today, I'm sitting down again with Dr. Jonathan McClatchy, fellow and resident biologist at the Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. Jonathan was previously an assistant professor at Sadler College in Boston, where he lectured biology for four years. He holds a bachelor's degree in forensic biology, a master's degree in evolutionary biology, a second master's degree in medical and molecular bioscience, and a PhD in evolutionary biology. His research interests include the scientific evidence for design in nature, arguments for the existence of God, and New Testament scholarship. Jonathan is also founder and director of TalkAboutDoubts.com. Jonathan, good to have you back. Great to be here. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing wonderfully. It's a gray day in Seattle, but uh, our hearts are bright as we're sharing the great evidence that we have for intelligent design. What do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the more we're learning about the human body, the more we understand it to be a masterpiece of engineering. The human body contains a vast network of integrated systems, all working together to keep us alive. The laws of nature by themselves don't tend toward life. They actually tend toward degradation and death. Without our body's ability to innovate and circumvent these natural inclinations, we'd be toast. So today, I'd like to talk with you about one of those amazing systems, our sense of hearing. You've written recently at Evolution News on the topic, and I'd like to amplify the discussion here. First, let's get the lay of the land by reviewing the basic anatomy of the inner and outer ear. Now, this background information can be found in any good anatomy and physiology textbook, and a good discussion of it's also available in Chapter 11 of the book Your Design Body by Steve Lofman and Howard Glicksman. But let's break it down here for listeners. How about the key parts of the outer ear first? Absolutely. So the outer ear is composed of the oracle, more commonly known as the earlobe, uh, as well as the ear canal. And uh, the, the oracle or the earlobe is composed of uh, skin-covered cartilage. Um, now, in humans, it doesn't particularly uh, matter as far as the sense of hearing is concerned if we didn't have uh, an oracle or ear, an earlobe. But in dogs uh, that you know, have movable ears, um, the oracle actually is able to serve as a funnel for sound waves. Um, and so it's, it's uh, more important uh, in, in canines. Okay. So that's the inner ear. And you say it's called the oracle, this outer part that we can touch? Yeah, the, the earlobe is known as the oracle. Nice. Um, so the, um, so the, the ear canal, um, which is um, also known as the external auditory metis, uh, is lined with skin that contains ceraminous glands, which, of course, uh, secrete ceramin, which is more popularly known as earwax. And um, the, uh, the ear canal is essentially a a tube-like structure that extends from the outer ear to the middle ear, and its um, its job is to direct uh, sound waves uh, into the ear, which then travel through the ear canal, and they end up arriving at the eardrum, which is uh, also known uh, as the tympanic membrane, uh, which is in the middle ear. And then the ear, that causes the, the eardrum to vibrate as a result of these, these sound waves. And the vibrations are in turn transmitted to the bones in the middle ear. Okay. So that brings us to the middle ear, this, this part between the auricle or outer ear and that inner ear sanctum. What's going on in the middle ear then? 
All right, so so far we've come to the eardrum uh, or the tympanic membrane, uh, which is essentially um, this membrane that separates the middle ear from the outer ear, and uh, it's it's uh, stretched across the end of the ear canal. And then if we move behind uh, the eardrum, we come to three, uh, in humans, there are three uh, small bones, and these are known as, uh, as ossicles, uh, or the middle ear bones, um, and they're known as the malleus, inca, uh, incas, and stapes. Another alternative name for them is the hammer, anvil, and stirrup. And the, these ossicles essentially form a, a chain. Uh, they're connected to each other, and uh, uh, when the eardrum vibrates um, as a result of the sound waves, it results in uh, the malleus moving, which in turn causes the incus and stapes to move as well. And so this mechanical linkage helps to amplify the vibrations and it transmits them from the eardrum to the inner ear. Um, the middle ear is also um, connected to the nasopharynx, which is at the, at the back of the, of the throat, through a tube that's known as the eustachian tube. And that um, tube um, basically helps to equalize the air pressure on both sides of the eardrum. And this is really important for maintaining uh, equilibrium of air pressure uh, between the um, middle ear and the external atmospheric pressure, um, which allows the eardrum to properly vibrate. And, you know, in the articles that you have written, you do include some helpful illustrations and diagrams that show these parts. Uh, so, listeners, if you want to see this, uh, go to his articles. The nice thing is, though, that we're not being quizzed on this stuff, and even though it's important to know these these terms, I think that's the first step in understanding the complexity that we're dealing with. Uh, we don't have to memorize it all. We can trust uh, folks like Jonathan to, to do that for us. So tell us about the inner sanctum, then. We're getting to the inner ear now. Sure. So the uh, inner ear is, is also a cavity within the temporal bone. It's called the bony labyrinth. And uh, it's lined with a membrane called the membranous labyrinth. Um, and between the bone and the uh, membrane is a fluid called the perilymph. Uh, and, within the mem- uh, and within the membranous structure of the inner layer is a fluid called endolymph. And um, three of these structures, namely the, uh, the utricle, the saccule, and the semicircular canals, are important for uh, equilibrium and balance. Uh, and the other, namely the cochlea, is important for hearing. So the um, if you look at a an anatomy textbook and you look at the uh, the structure of the cochlea, you'll see that it has the appearance of a snail, as a snail-like appearance. And um, the if we were to move inside the cochlea, we'll, we'll, we would find that it is partitioned into three different canals, and these are all filled with fluid. So you have the uppermost canal called the scale of vestibuli, and it's filled with perilymph, uh, which is uh, similar to the cerebrospinal fluid. Um, so sound vibrations travel through the cochlea and they arrive at the scala tympani uh, and the middle canal is known as the uh, scala media. Um, another name for it is the cochlear duct and it's separated uh, from the scala vestibuli by the Reisner's membrane and from the scala tympani by the basilar membrane. So the scala media uh, contains uh, endolymph uh, and it's where uh, the sensory cells of the cochlea which are also known as hair cells are located. And now these aren't actually hair, but they are rather um, specialized microvilli, and these are crucial for converting vibrations of sound into electrical signals that our brains can interpret. 
Um, and then above the hair cells is uh, another membrane called the tictorial membrane, um, which is absolutely fundamental for, for hearing as well. Okay. And what's cool is, is all these parts are in both of our ears operating all the time. Um, so we can relate, even even though this might be new to us, some of this. Well, tell us, uh, as simply as you can, what the process is of how our ears actually hear. What's the process of hearing? Sure. So the first uh, stage uh, is uh, sound waves uh, being produced from the source of sound. And uh, sound wave is essentially... Uh, it's pressure fluctuations um, which are transmitted through medium, normally air, uh, though sometimes water. And these waves are um, funneled into the ear canal by the external part of the ear that's known as the pina. And the ear canal carries the sound waves to the tympanic membrane or the eardrum, and uh, that c results in the eardrum vibrating. And then these vibrations get transmitted to uh, the malleus incus and stapes, um, and that causes the vibrations to be amplified. And the stapes is connected to the oval window, which is a membrane-covered opening to the inner ear. So the vibration of the stapes bone against the oval window creates pressure waves in the fluid-filled cochlea. And as the, as the pressure waves pass through the fluid in the cochlea, they cause vibration of the basilar membrane. And this results in the uh, hair cells bending against the tutorial membrane, which triggers the release of neurotransmitters that convert the mechanical vibrations into electrical signals. And then these get transmitted to the brain uh, by the auditory nerve and get interpreted as sound uh, by the auditory areas in the temporal lobes of the cerebral cortex. Um, and what's, what's really fascinating is that the auditory nerve fibers that carry information from one ear partially crossed the opposite side uh, at a structure in the brainstem that's known as the trapezoid body. And this means that the uh, that signals from both ears get sent to both sides of the brain. And this is crucial in um, localization of the sound um, and spatial processing. It allows the brain to compare the intensity and the timing of signals from both ears, and that helps us to identify which direction a particular sound is coming from. Um, and so as the impulses uh, arrive from each of the inner ears, they are the auditory areas essentially count and compare these impulses in order to work out the direction of the sound. And so um, if, for example, if, if we have more impulses coming from the right cochlea than from the left one, then the brain will project that sound to the right uh, so you know where the sound is coming from. It's a remarkable uh, engineering. Okay. Well, our ears are not only responsible for how we hear. They also aid in maintaining equilibrium for the body. Can you explain that a little? Yeah, so I mentioned that the cochlea is concerned with sound and the utricle and saccule are concerned with equilibrium. So the the utricle and saccule are, um, these are two structures within the vestibule, um, which is the central part of the inner ear. And uh, they contain uh, sensory cells that are known as autolith organs, uh, which are responsible for detecting linear acceleration and head position relative to gravity. So within each uh, autolith organ, there are small uh, calcium carbonate crystals that are known as autoliths. And when you move your head, these autoliths shift and that causes movement of the hair cells and triggers nerve impulses. 
And so the um, the utricle primarily uh, senses uh, horizontal acceleration, whereas the saccule is more sensitive to vertical acceleration. There's also um, the semicircular canals, which are um, three uh, fluid-filled uh, tubes that are arranged in uh, perpendicular planes that each correspond to a different dimension of head movement. Um, and these uh, canals are uh, responsible for detecting rotational movements of the head, such as uh, turning or nodding. And at the base of each canal is um, a, a region called the ampulla, which contains sensory hair cells. And the hair cells are embedded in uh, a gel-like structure called the cupola. And rotational head movements cause the fluid within the canals to move. And that leads to deflection of the cupola and stimulation of the hair cells. And this uh, stimulation generates uh, nerve signals that inform the brain about the direction and speed of the head movement. And so um, the, uh, the input from the utricle, the saccule, and the semicircular canals provides the brain with uh, important information about the head position, uh, linear acceleration, rotational movements, etc. And so this is uh, crucial for maintaining balance and equilibrium, which allows us to adjust our um, our posture to, to coordinate our movements in response to changes in the environment and so forth. So it's, again, remarkable uh, instance of design. Yeah, fascinating. Interesting how those, those, uh, those two functions are, are worked with within the same system, the equilibrium of our body and also um, hearing itself. Well, uh, how does the human hearing system stack up to other mammals and animals? So um, the anatomy of hearing that um, we just discussed is, um, of course, the system that's found in, in humans, other terrestrial mammals. Um, but there are other organisms that uh, have less advanced systems for hearing. So, for instance, uh, fish, they don't have external ears. And they um, they have they have um, autoliths that detect vibrations and changes in the water pressure. Reptiles, birds, and amphibians um, also they don't have an external ear, but they have uh, a single middle ear bone instead of the three found in mammals. And so there's uh, a simpler system. Mo the majority of invertebrates, like mollusks and crustaceans, they do don't have ears, don't have a sense of hearing altogether. It's, it's often thought that uh, the sense of hearing evolved by natural selection and in discussions of the evolution of the sense of hearing, um, there's a tendency to focus on these as intermediate stages uh, because you have simpler systems and so it's thought that, um, that you, know, you have some organisms that only have one middle ear bone, for example, uh, which is a simpler system than humans where, where there are three. And so this could be seen as uh, intermediate stages in the evolution of hearing. Um, and in fact, the Incas, Melis, and Stabes, which are the three middle ear bones found in humans, are uh, thought to have arisen from three reptilian bones associated with the jaw. Um, so um, specifically the quadrate bone, the articular bone, and the columnella, uh, respectively. Okay. So in your article, you write about the irreducible complexity of vertebrate hearing systems. Now, in case we have anyone tuning in who is not familiar with the concept of irreducible complexity, can you remind us what that is? So the concept of irreducible complexity, um, that, that term was coined by Michael Behe in 1996. Um, and it's the idea that there are 
many systems uh, in biology which are comprised by multiple interdependent and well-crafted components, each of which contributes to the system's function, whereby removal of any one of the um, sub-functions uh, causes the overall system to cease to function. And so removing any one of the components uh, results in a system that works not half as well as it used to or quarter as well as it used to, but it's completely broken. And so by an unguided, mindless search, driven by chance and physical necessity, how would you build up such an irresistibly complex system without knowing where the target is? It seems to require a cause with foresight, and only intelligence can visualize a complex end goal and bring everything together needed to realize that end goal. Okay, so it's not enough to point to simpler systems, uh, which may be simpler by design, and say, oh, well, you know, ours just came from that. Look, that's that's simpler. Uh, that doesn't equate, does it? Um, because a common designer could have created simpler systems that are not necessarily connected to or have a pedigree with uh, more complex systems just coming from the same designer. Is that fair? Well, I mean, as I said before, there are simpler systems where um, there will be some organisms that lack um, one or two of the middle ear bones found in humans. But um, I, I would say that you know, one middle ear bone, I would say, is, is essential for the sense of hearing. Um, so I would say that at least one middle ear bone would be part of the irreducibly complex core of the sense of hearing. And there are other components of the sense of hearing which are absolutely fundamental. So, for example, the cochlea, which contains the hair cells, is absolutely crucial for transducing uh, sound vibrations into electrical signals that uh, can be interpreted by the brain. Uh, and one of the leading causes of hearing loss is actually damage to the hair cells. Uh, so these are absolutely crucial. Uh, you don't have a sense of hearing without those hair cells. In order for sound waves to be interpreted by the brain, you need the auditory nerve, which carries the electrical signals from those hair cells to the brain. And so this is absolutely fundamental and crucial for transmitting the auditory information to the, nervous, to the central nervous system. Uh, and in cases when the auditory nerve is damaged, like certain infections, like meningitis, for, in for example, or injuries, uh, that can result in a complete and permanent loss of hearing in that ear. So the auditory nerve is absolutely fundamental. Um, moreover, the tympanic membrane, uh, or the eardrum, uh, which vibrates in response to sound waves uh, and transmits these vibrations to the middle ear ossicles is also uh, absolutely crucial uh, to the sense of hearing. Uh, if you have a perforated or damaged eardrum, the result of that can be deafness. You also need the oval window, which is the membrane-covered opening between the middle and inner ear, uh, which is located at the base of the stapes bone. So vibrations are transmitted by the ossicles are transferred to the fluid uh, within the cochlea through the oval window. And if you don't have the oval window, there's, there's no hearing. So, um, and as I said before, you need a minimum of one middle ear ossicle um, for uh, the sense of hearing, even if you don't need all three. So there are irreducibly complex features associated with uh, the sense of hearing. And so I would argue that this uh, does, in fact, pose a significant challenge to an evolutionary account of the origins of hearing. Right. Well, in your article, you say it strains credulity to suppose that an unguided process of random variation sifted by natural selection could assemble such a delicately arranged system. Are you saying the vertebrate hearing system is beyond the reach of a Darwinian process? 
How do proponents of Darwinian evolution typically suggest that this comes about? Yeah, so it's widely thought that the middle ear bones in mammals have evolved from bones that were, were originally part of the jaw joint in early vertebrates. So in ancient jawed fish, the uh, skeletal elements that supported the, the, um, the gill arches were repurposed over evolutionary time to serve different functions. This is the received wisdom. And one of these skeletal elements, known as the hyomandibula, played uh, a crucial role in the jaw joint. And as vertebrates evolved, um, the story goes that some of these um, hyomandibular bones became detached from the jaw joint and migrated toward the middle ear region in the ancestors of mammals. And over time, these bones um, underwent further modifications, leading to the formation of the malleus and incus. Uh, and the stapes is thought to have originated from a different bone, um, possibly the hyomandibula or, or a similar structure. So that this is the, this is the received wisdom uh, of of the um, evolutionary origins of the middle ear bones. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot more to the sense of hearing than merely the middle ear bones, uh, and this is often what is brought up when one talks about the design of uh, the sense of hearing and the anatomy of the ear and so forth. Um, but as, as we've already discussed, the ear exhibits uh, iridescent complexity and therefore is, I, I think, difficult to account for in terms of uh, an evolutionary sort of explanation. Right, right. Just waiting for things to come along slowly and surely. Well, what are some methods we can use to determine irreducible complexity? I think that's pretty interesting, too. Yeah, so sometimes this is done naturally by uh, human diseases where uh, part of the anatomy uh, or part of a structure is not is not functioning as it should, and so you can see what the consequences are. Uh, or you can also conduct experiments to knock out various um, aspects of a system to see what the consequences are of, of knocking out one particular structure versus another. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, in the case of hearing, we know that one of the leading causes of hearing loss uh, is damage to the hair cells, for example. And so that serves as a natural test of the indispensability of hair cells for the sense of hearing. Okay. Well, where can listeners learn more about the intelligent design and irreducible complexity of our sense of hearing? Sure. So they can check out my article, evolutionnews.org. Uh, they can also check out the book, uh, Your Designed Body, um, and in particular, chapter 11, which is on uh, the sense of hearing and the anatomy of the ear. Right. And your pieces we can link to in the show description. They're on evolutionnews.org, as you said, and we'll include some other resources as well. But definitely chapter 11 in Your Design Body is a good place to, to start for more on this amazing system. Well, Jonathan, as always, thanks for taking time to unpack this for us. Thank you. Great to be here as always. If you enjoy what you hear on this podcast, consider leaving us a written review at Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. And we do want to share this uh, amazing evidence with as many people as possible. Thanks in advance for your help with that. Well, until next time, I'm Andrew McDermott. This is Jonathan McClatchy for ID the Future. Thanks for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.